0: to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, we have some owner Bibles we'd like to give you. Mike there in the back, a uh, tall handsome guy with the big frizzy hair back there. Um, he would he would love to give you a Bible, so just raise your hand and Mike will bring you a Bible. If you have it on your phone, I use the new King James version. There's lots of great versions I like. I love the ESV, the King James, the uh, Lots of Bibles out there. I, I just happen to use the New King James Version. So if uh, if you want to follow along word for word with me, that's what I'll be in. If you're pulling it up on your device, I don't know if you guys noticed, but our three scripture reads that we did today were the gospel story in each of the four different gospels. So um, we did Matthew. I'm sorry, we did Luke, John, and Mark, and I'm going to do the first ten in the Gospel of Matthew. And so as we put the story of Jesus' resurrection together, um, we get little different details from, from the four different Gospels um, that give us some de- details. None of them contradictory, but definitely for four of us, had we gone and experienced it, the things that stood out to us, or the things that we would have wrote about the resurrection would be slightly different and from a, a different angle as we saw it. So, I wanted to give us a little perspective of all four gospels, and as we go through the resurrection story today, we're going to um, bring those things out. Now, there is a church greeting that, that is super important that we as Christians, we, we all know and understand, and, and we use on, on Easter. We only get to do it one day a year, so um, you know I, I probably annoyed you this morning as you came in, and I try to make it a point to say to every person I talk to this morning, <laughs> He is risen. He is risen indeed is the is the response. You know, in the in the early church, that that Christian fish. You guys ever see it? It's a you know it's it's a half moon, half moon, and it makes a little triangle in the tail. And well, the um, tradition says that in the early days, when the church began to face tons of persecution, if you were wanting to know if the person you were talking to was safe, um, you would draw that little half moon in the sand with your in the dirt with your feet. And the other person, if they were a believer, would understand that and they would complete the other half of it, making that Christian symbol in the ground and thereby it's safe facing the persecution the church faced. So that go between. So for us, he is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, I can tell who's new to church. Now, I don't mean to tease you because I want to tell you first, we're so glad you're here. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have what we have. When you guys aren't here, for anybody that's new today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but when you guys aren't here, we make jokes about you, and um, we, we call you CEOs. You're like, oh, that's cool. I'm a CEO. Those are the church and Easter only folks. Oh, church and only. Okay, let me try it again. Christmas and Easter only folks. Those are the jokes, folks, so if you laugh, the day goes a little better, you know? That's what you get, but... Um, but honestly, we, we live for Christmas and Easter, and Christmas and Easter always gives us an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. And when we get guests that come who don't normally come to church or maybe don't attend church, like, this is, like, we get giddy about this stuff. This is our opportunity, and, you know, I feel like, like I need to, like, teach the whole book of Revelation in the next 20 minutes and maybe, maybe start in Genesis and just give it all because I don't know when I'll get you back, but... Um, but, but maybe we won't do that today, but we're just going to share the, the simple truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know, the, the reality is we, we want to see you come back. And if it is your first time, if you are a guest, again, we welcome you, and we'd love to see you come back and, and hear more. And maybe we'll present the gospel in such a way today and present the truth and do church in such a way. And our prayer and our hope is that, that, that even if you're not a church person, even if you're not a Christ follower, that, that it's comfortable enough in here. You're, you've been welcomed and loved enough, invited enough that you, you'll come back. And, and, and you don't have to agree with everything that we believe and everything that we say, but that, that you, you feel at least comfortable enough that you'll come back and listen. And we can talk about things. You know, we have different opinions and different views. And I want to tell you, today is for us the, the high holy day of Christianity. And we don't really have a high holy day. But I do want to tell you, if there was such a day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that day and today is a day of great victory and celebration. I got my teeth cleaned on Tuesday, and that was funny. (laughs) Yeah, you got some yellow teeth. You better get them cleaned. I don't know why that was funny. That wasn't a joke, but I'm gonna try that again. I'm gonna use that next week. (laughs) Hey, I got my teeth cleaned on Tuesday, but um, I got my teeth cleaned on Tuesday, and the person that was cleaning my teeth, my hygienist, um, was from a different faith, and she knows I'm a pastor of a local church, and Um, you know, they had noticed that the, the, the church was growing and that we used to have one sign and then two and now four. And, and they asked me if I bought the whole block and I said, no, not the whole block, but I did. We did as a church purchase the whole building that we're in and we're renovating it and growing. And, um, and so she, it was really foreign. The evangelical church, non-denominational Christian church was so foreign to my hygienist. And she said, um, well, what, what do you guys do on Easter? And I think she had some maybe friends that were Catholic or different, different ideas. And she said, do you guys fast? And I said, oh, no, we're going to eat bacon and we're, <laughs> we're going to eat pancakes and we're, we're going to get down. And she said, is it like Lent? Is there, like, is there some rituals you do? Like do you like, use holy water and make the sign of the cross? And, um, what? and, and, and she was being honest. We were just having a conversation. And she said, you know, she was just curious. She didn't know. She just didn't have any experience outside of her faith. And wanted to know what we did here. And I said, for us, I said, for us in our church, Easter is a, is a Sunday of celebration. I said, it's a time of joy. It's a time of pumping our fists. It's a time of raising our hands and saying that our God lives Amen. and that Jesus is alive because it makes us different from everybody else. It's the one thing that separates us from all other um, systems and religions and belief systems, that Jesus is alive alive. And every other religion, not 99.9%, 100% of every other belief, philosophy, and industry, and system has a God or a leader or somebody who's dead. But Jesus is alive. And I told her, I told her, I said, yeah, it's just a celebration for us. And she said something to me, again, that was so foreign. And, and, and for my wife, who grew up a pastor's daughter and grew up in church from the minute she was born, this is the first, she's 27 years old. Her her birthday's on Friday. She'll be 38. But she's 27 today. And um, she, this is the first Sunday, not kidding, of her life, she hasn't attended a sunrise service on Easter Sunday. So she's in mourning a little bit. But, you know, we, it was a California thing, and we brought it here, and we did it in the snow. We did it in the freezing, freezing cold, and it was just torture on the worship team and on everybody that had to be involved. And so for the first year, we said, let's, let's do something different. And, and so we did this breakfast thing, and um, it turned out really cool. And ended up being that, that we wouldn't have been able to meet outside anyways today because it was pouring down rain all morning, and God was good. and the breakfast went well, and again, for all those that came um, Pat, and I don't want to start naming names, so we're just going to call Pat out. Um, Pat kind of gurued it, but the whole crew that was out there, and if I start calling names, I'm going to miss somebody. But again, a lot of people, and I look around, I see all the faces that came, and you guys saw who was in front of the grill when you got here, and working hard, and flipping pancakes, and turning eggs, and making sausage and bacon, and so, again, thank you so much to our crew. They, uh, they just wanted to serve you guys, and love you, and just, a little extension of the love of Jesus this morning to give you a free breakfast and tell you we love you and you're welcome here and we want you here and to promote some fellowship among our church. All right, I'm going to finish my one story, and then I'm actually going to get into some scripture here in a minute. But um, So my hygienist, she said, for her, she's like, yeah, for me, she said, we always, She said I always see Easter as a Sunday off. She's like, we go to church. And she's like, oh, don't, don't get me wrong. I go to church every Sunday. She said, but on Easter, she said, it's always for me traditionally in my family, is a time to go do something fun or get away from church for a Sunday. And, you know, so we go down to, we do something, we go down to St. George or we go somewhere and, and have fun. And and for her, her idea of Easter was that was a day to take a break. And, and I'm not, but I'm not, well, this is all I'm saying with all this, is that for me, for my wife who grew up in church every Sunday, that that whole concept is that so foreign because Easter is the one Sunday of a month, of the year, that we want to be, that we need to be, that we have occasion to celebrate and really be in church because our God lives, right? So the, 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 you know, that the Jesus, and on this day, let me just tell you three things about the life of Jesus. Three of the key things that make Jesus the mo- most unique character in all of human history. Three things that set Jesus apart specifically and individually from everything else in the world. And the three major things in the life of Jesus, number one is Jesus' impact upon human history. Nobody else in all the world has, has, has had as much impact upon human history than the person Jesus Christ. It makes his life and legacy undeniable. It makes it unavoidable. You can't ignore the person of Jesus. This morning, while we slept, believers just like you and I rose early this morning in Sri Lanka... They gathered together in church buildings to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And as believers just like us in another country, in another part of the world, who also have been touched by the impact of the life of Jesus gathered to meet as believers, and some evil people and and persons put bombs inside the church that went off and killed 207 people this morning, Christian believers that were gathering in Sri Lanka. And you know what? The church has faced persecution for thousands of years, and the church always grows under persecution. You know, every one of the disciples, all eleven of the disciples died a, a a violent death, save John, the apostle John, who was the only one that died of old age. And they tried to murder him by dipping him in a vat of, of boiling oil like a French fry. And when he came out, it was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his and his clothes weren't even wet. And he didn't even smell of the, and God protected him in the burning oil, just like he protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace because God wasn't done with him yet. But all the other ten disciples went to their deathbed and died very violent, violent deaths, shotten by arrows, beheaded, disemboweled like Braveheart, where they they cut him and pulled their intestines out. Peter was crucified by the Romans. And Peter requested that he not be crucified as was his Lord, that he be crucified upside down. And they crucified Peter upside down. Paul eventually had his head cut off by Nero in Rome. And not a one of them recanted the resurrection story. Not a one of them in their lives said, okay, okay, it's not true. It's a lie. We made it up. Every one of them believed it and went to their grave with it. Not a one of the disciples became rich or wealthy or influential really in their days and their time. Every one of them died a violent death without things, without material possessions. You know, if somebody realized down the road that, that religion is, is a way to pervert, and, and there's a lot of perversion in the church, granted. But with those early disciples, they, they didn't reap any of those benefits. Not a one of them earned or got anything from this, this story of the resurrection other than it was true. So number one, the life and impact of Jesus. Number two, the fulfillment of all testament prophecy and number three his resurrection from the dead those are the three things if you missed them again number one the impact on human history number two the fulfilling of old testament prophecy and number three is resurrection from the dead those three things separate jesus and today we celebrate the third is resurrection so we've read it in three other gospels let's read it in matthew's gospel in chapter 28 beginning in verse number one it says now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothes with clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come and see the place where, they lay, where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now in verse 1 it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, so the Sabbath traditionally... Now I want to tell you something real quickly about the, the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, there, there are in the law of Moses things that we call their special Sabbaths. So Passover is a time of, of, of where we celebrate, the Jews would celebrate the Passover. And Jesus, being the Passover lamb, he had to die on Passover. But according to the Jewish festival, you can have certain weeks where you have two Passovers, or two, sorry, two Sabbaths. So a Sabbath was the day that God designed for rest. Now your weekly Sabbath, every week, does everybody know when the Sabbath is? Okay, Saturday is a good answer. It's definitely not Sunday. The Jewish day starts not like ours. It starts at 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. is the way they record a Jewish day. So on Friday night when the sun goes down or at 6 p.m. on Friday night is the beginning of a biblical Sabbath, the day that God told his people to rest and to do no labors. And then they rest from Friday night at sundown until Saturday at sundown. And at 6 p.m. on Saturday as the sun goes down, Sabbath is over the next day of the week is Sunday. That's the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar We see Sunday as our our last day or the seventh day but technically Sunday is God created if He followed that model, which i'm pretty sure he did That means that sunday would have been the first day of creation And then monday and tuesday and when the lord rested on the seventh day That actually would have been on saturday that the lord rested from his creation so the early church, because Jesus rose early on a Sunday morning, and, and because the early church, they, they met on Sunday. That's why we traditionally and why we've continued the, the doctrine and the, and the practices of the apostles, and we also meet on Sunday mornings as a church. But it's on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, that Jesus rose from the grave. It doesn't tell us exactly in, you know, what time and, and that Jesus rose. It says that as the women came to the tomb, early that morning, after the sun had just come up, that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus had risen. He is risen. Risen indeed. So we see there, the first day of the week on Sunday that they came and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and he rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it. This angel had some swag, man. He, he, he probably had his J's on, you know, he had his face jams on and he, uh, he, he rolls the stone away and then he sits on it, probably just cross-legged on top of the stone. The Roman soldiers are on the ground, they all fell over scared, you know, and, and these are mighty men of war. These Roman soldiers didn't mess around, right? We, we know that they were trained fighters with weapons and in battle and were battle-hardened and, and each one of them had to have killed a certain amount of men in battle to prove themselves and to earn the rank that these soldiers who were watching Jesus' tomb would have had. So these guys were no joke. But to the angel, he just thought it was funny. He showed up. And the Bible says that they, they fell over and they laid on the ground quivering as dead men. And, and he just sat on top of the, on top of the stone with his, with his legs crossed. And then it says, and his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. You know, one of the things that we see with the angels is oftentimes they, they always appear as men in the Bible. It's consistent throughout all the Bible. When we see angels and when we see them appear to men, oftentimes men don't realize they're angels at first and and, and then they they realize. And and sometimes we see these angels and they're in this case, he's he's battle hardened and he's glorified and he's not necessarily in the appearance of man. This guy looks like like lightning. His countenance is like lightning and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now verse 5, two things. The first thing the angel says to these women is, Do not be afraid. Now there would have been great fear at the death of Jesus. Now we studied, you guys remember, for those that are for our church, remember we studied Martha and what she did in the time between the triumphal entry to Jesus' death on the cross. She anointed his feet with oil. And she poured costly oil over him, anointing him and preparing him for death. And she worshipped at his feet. And and, and Judas got upset because he said that money could have been sold and given to the poor. But really, we know that he was upset because he was stealing the money. But but, but Martha, I'm sorry, Mary, she she knew that Jesus was going to die on a cross. But one of the things that's so funny is that None of the disciples, even including the women who were so much more perceptive than the disciples during this season, they didn't even realize that Jesus was going was gonna to rise again the third day. The women showed up to the tomb that Easter Sunday morning with, with more burial spices and they came to anoint the body and prepare the body. And when it wasn't there, they didn't just immediately rejoice and say, Oh my gosh, Jesus is alive and he's risen. They started looking for the body. Do you remember the other gospel? Mary sees the, the, the Jesus and she thinks it's who? The gardener. the gardener. When you guys get home today, if there's a gardener in your front yard, pay attention. <laughs> but she sees the gardener and she doesn't even realize it's Jesus. She's been crying and she's upset. And, and, and she's, you know she tells him, where have you taken the body? She's still looking for a body because she doesn't realize yet that Jesus is going to rise. And I don't know how they missed it. You know, the enemies of of Jesus, they understood it. Turn back with me one page real quick. We're in verse 5 on chapter 28. But turn back to 27 and just look at verse 62 of chapter 27. It says, On the next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was alive how he deceived and said, After three days I will rise. His enemies understood that Jesus said, after three days I will rise. But his own disciples and even the women didn't realize and, and weren't expecting Jesus to rise on the third day. But the enemies paid attention. And therefore, in verse 64, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So let the deception so that the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. I'm sure by this point, Pilate is just completely upset with the Jews and he's done with them. And Pilate has already perceived that, that something is different about Jesus. Pilate's wife had a dream and she said, have nothing to do with this just man for I've suffered much of him in a dream. And Pilate came and he, 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 he was sure that he had it figured out because he, was, he brought out the most hardened criminal that, that the nation and that, that Israel and that Judah, the area, had ever seen. A guy by the name of Jesus Barabbas. He was a notorious killer and a rabble rouser. He was a convicted murderer and criminal in the area and somebody who was very scary and dark and evil. And he presented Barabbas to the people and he said to the people, he, and, and Pilate was sure now he had a way out, that he could wash himself of the blood of Jesus because there was no way that even as bad as they, that they didn't like Jesus, he was nowhere near a Barabbas. And he comes to the people and he says, who do you want me to release to you today as is the custom? And the crowd began to shout, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And he, had, he was shocked. He had no idea it was going to go down that way. And he has to then release Barabbas into custody are out of custody. And then he says, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? And they said, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on our hands and on our children. And then Pontius Pilate, he tried, it doesn't work, but he came out. Do you guys remember the story? And what did Pilate do? He, he got a basin of water and he tried to wash his hands and he said, fine, I'll give you Jesus, but I wash my hands of this, of this innocent man's blood. And now and now, after he's died on the cross, and Pontius Pilate writes over Jesus, Jesus, King of the Jews, Y-H-V-H, the very name of God and the sign that Pilate puts over the, over the crucifixion. In Hebrew, the four letters, beginning letters of, of what Pilate writes is Y-H-V-H, the, the technical name of Jehovah, the name of the Lord, the I am that I am, proclaiming that Jesus is God above his very crucifixion and now Pilate, as they come back has had enough and he realizes that no matter what the jews want to do if god is in this there's no way all of hell is not going to stop that rock from being moved and he says yeah man you guys go and make it as secure as you know how do whatever you want to do because if god is in it there's no way to stop it so what they would have done is they would have gotten 16 roman soldiers guard trained roman soldiers to stand guard at the tomb They would have used ropes to to cover the rock, not to keep it from rolling, not to secure it. The only thing the ropes would do, you might have seen this in some of the movies. I think they predict or they, they use this in the movie Risen and in other places. But the Romans would put ropes over the opening or over the rock, and they would take their seal, and in the middle, they would seal that rope with Roman seals on the corners and in the middle. And the law of Rome was that if you broke a Roman seal, that you would be crucified upside down. And if you broke a Roman seal and you ran and they knew who you were, they would go to your village and they would kill and crucify everyone in your village. You didn't break a Roman seal. A Roman soldier didn't fall down or go to sleep on the job. If a Roman soldier um, lost a prisoner, Roman law was that the Roman soldier himself would take the punishment of of the criminal that he lost. And more times than not, it was death. Do you remember the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts? God gave an earthquake and and the prisoners got out and the Philippian jailer grabs his sword and he's going to kill himself because if he loses the prisoners, he's going to have to pay for their crimes. If a Roman soldier fell asleep on duty and there there were 16-man teams, and if one of the 16-man team fell asleep, the entire 16-man team was killed. So you'd make sure the guy next to you didn't fall asleep because that was going to cost you your life. And so they would, if somebody did get caught falling asleep, the soldiers that were with them would quickly light his skirt on fire. I call it a skirt. You know, maybe the Romans were a little tougher than that. They called it something else, but that's what it looked like. And, you, you know, you, you stay awake and you, you keep your clothes, you know. You fall asleep, you'd realize quick that you were there. So Pontius tells him to go and make it as secure as you know. Now, back in 28.5, the angel says, Do not be afraid, for I know who you seek. You seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, I want to tell you about yourself. I'm going to tell you about myself. and tell you about really every church service that I've ever been a part of. In every church service that I've ever been a part of, we have an eclectic group of people that come. And not everybody's on the same page, and not everybody has the the same system. Not everybody got here the same way. I can remember one time um, before I was a Christian going to church because I had to go, because I got told I was going by my my by my aunt, and I went reluctantly, and you know, or I got drugged, or I got forced, or or I went because I didn't get to go to dinner afterwards, for whatever reason, or or maybe you know I was I was feeling spiritual and. You know, when I was really feeling spiritual before as a Christian, I wouldn't sell drugs on Sunday. That was the best I could do. But, um, you know, so for whatever reason, people come, right? And and they end up in in, in groups for different reasons. And I realized that. And we're going to see that in the story today, a lot of that different beliefs and a lot of that is represented. Now, the women in the story, they were the seekers of Jesus. And they came because they wanted to seek Jesus. And I believe those are the ones that God really rewards. God is not really interested too much in, in casual seekers. You know, at some point, and before we get done today, we got a few minutes left, ten minutes left, and at the end of that, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to give your life and your heart to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if we only get you for one or two Sundays a month, when we got you, we're not going to let you leave without presenting the gospel to you and the opportunity of salvation and for you to get saved. And as people come, really true seekers of Jesus come, and we, we we realize that we're here to seek Jesus as we gather on Sunday mornings. One of the things that's nice about that is if you're you're a Christ follower or a worshipper, you know who you are. Then you know even if the sermon's not great and the worship's not great, you're still going to come. Be, you're still going to have a good time because you came to meet with Jesus, and you were able to remove all that stuff and and and, uh, and be quiet enough and listen enough and tune in enough that God's Holy Spirit could speak directly to your heart about something. So you came as a seeker. We're going to see other people that are doubters. We're going to see after the very resurrection of Jesus Christ that the Jewish folks and the religious folks denied the resurrection and continued to lie as doubters and willingly believed a lie. But here the women came seeking Jesus. Now let me tell you real quickly something about those that are seeking Jesus. And maybe you are a casual seeker. And maybe you started as a casual seeker. This is what the Bible says. And this is what is true of life. If you're looking for God, if you're seeking truth, you'll find it. If you seek with all your heart, promised in the Bible multiple times, God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. One of the biggest things I I deal with as a pastor and people I talk to, they say, Pastor, oh, I prayed, nothing happened. Oh, I read the Bible and I didn't understand it. I asked Jesus in my heart. My life never changed. Now, now that person may be sincere, but there really is an underlying issue with, with, with that, those statements. Those statements disagree with what the Word of God says. So either the Bible is a liar or that person is a liar. Pretty much going to go with the Bible is true. And that God's Word is true. Because God's Word says that if you seek God with all your heart, you'll find Him. And I tell you that as a promise. I tell you that as an encouraging word that that, that seek God. But you've got to have a full full commitment. You've got to be willing to, to seek God with all your heart. Amen? So we see these women and their seekers in verse 5. And then in verse 6 it says he is not here. He is risen as he said. And so that angel, he does have some sass. You know, like in verse 6, I don't know if he got down off the stone or if he's still sitting up on top of the stone with his legs crossed just chilling or if Um, He comes down and starts to talk to him and he's like he's not here. He's risen as he told you he was going to do Like he said he was going to rise. How did you miss it? And then he said see the place where they lay and go quickly and tell his disciples So there's a biblical this is this is in all four gospels to some degree But i want to tell you one of the main messages for believers on easter sunday And I want to encourage us as church if you're a part of this church or you're a believer This is specifically for you this morning The Bible says, come and see, go and tell. A lot of you know it, okay? Because that's what it says. Do you find it right here? you guys read it? And it's in every gospel. Some write together. But in here, in verse 7, it says, go and tell. And then in verse 6, he says, come and see. So that's the message. Come and see that the tomb is empty, and then go and tell. Come and see that Jesus is alive, and then go and tell. Come and see that Jesus is is real. Come and see that Jesus is risen. Come and see that Jesus loves you. Come and see that Jesus will take you just as you are. Come and see that Jesus will meet all your needs and then go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. And that's really the life of the believer. You know, becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, it's only the beginning. Once you become a believer in Christ, you know, God's, God's got plans to, to move and work in your life. And he loves you so much that he'll take you just as you are. But the cool thing about God is he doesn't leave you just where you are. I think for some people, they get excited about that, that God will do some amazing changes in my life and some healings and some working. Absolutely. Maybe for other people, that scares you. You're kind of like, you already got your own swag. You got your stuff together. You're like, never mind. But, but you got your stuff together and, and, and you, you, you know, you're afraid that God might change some things in your, in your life and in your world. And that scares you. But I'm going to tell you, being a Christ follower, anything that God changes in your life will bless you. Anything that God changes in your life will be for the better. But God absolutely wants to do work in your life. So as we become Christ followers, it's just the beginning. And then there's work to do. And then he says in verse number eight, he says, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. So that, you know, it's crazy, right? They had, they had great joy. You know, one of the things that God brings us in our life, you guys, great joy. You know what? Being a Christian it's not easier. What do you mean, Pastor? It's not. I don't preach that. I don't believe that. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul's life. The dude had a crazy hard life. And, and, and really, really difficult in seasons. And, and as we become Christ followers, the Bible says that there's, there's, there's trials and there's battles. Listen, in our church, this is not a cruise ship. You don't come here to you know, get on a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And everybody's got a battle station and, and being a part of the fight and, and being part of the war of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world, amen? amen. So, so, so there's, there's work to be done. So this life of being a Christ follower doesn't necessarily mean life just gets easy all of a sudden. But I will tell you this, life gets better. And, and that life becomes more fulfilled. And the Bible talks about something that's crazy. You see Christians sometimes go through some things that are so crazy difficult in life that you'd see crush somebody else. And they just have this crazy peace about themselves. And it's so powerful. And you say, how how can you have peace about this? And they're like, I don't know. And then we read a scripture and it says that God gives us a peace that surpasses our understanding. A peace that's beyond our finding out. And God just does something supernatural and we should be freaking out. And we just, we're cool with it. Because we know God is with us and we know all the promises of God's word and we know that yeah, this is hard now But all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes And God just does an amazing work in and through it even though it's difficult and and we know and we always have our eyes on eternity You know when I this morning it was four o'clock alarm went off at four I know i'm pretty spiritual. I get up early and I fall out of bed on my knees And I pray for like five hours and I run like 22 miles. You could tell how much I run, right? No, I'm just kidding. But I, I do get up early on Sunday mornings. And I got up this morning. My alarm was going off. I clicked my alarm when I could see enough to see my phone. The first highlight I got was a, was a notification, a news notification from one of my news sources that there was something going on in Sri Lanka. So I swiped it open. And I began to read the story. And originally at four o'clock this morning, the first story I read said 150 dead and five bombs, three, in, three churches and two luxury hotels in Sri Lanka. And my first immediate reaction this morning when I got up at four o'clock this morning, now it's, it's, it's Easter, right? And, I, and I'm a pretty emotional person and I'm a pretty nostalgic person. So for me, Easter Sunday is like, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And I wanna celebrate and enjoy that. But my first response before I could even let my mind process and get to the point that It's easter sunday and jesus is risen. I read this article and my thought was Man, jesus you got to come back soon You got to come back and you got you got to you got to set this stuff, right? Even so lord jesus come quickly and i'll tell you one of the things that that I use I think it's encouraging. Maybe it is to me. Maybe it's not to you, hopefully it is but you know when when things in this world are hard when things in this world are wrong and sinful, it always makes me long for home. It makes me long for heaven. And when I see those things that are happening, my, my result is I, I want to be in heaven with Jesus. I want to, I, I, you know, I don't live in, I don't live, I live in this world, but not of this world. And, and I realize that this world is not my home. And I don't live for this world. I live for eternity where I'm going to spend all of eternity with Jesus in heaven. And, and I long for that day. And when I see these terrible things and these hard things, it just makes me want to be at home all the much more. Now I've got to put my boots on, right, and I've got to get back to work because I realize that until Jesus comes back, there's work to be done. I learned a, a new fact about the crucifixion that I don't know that i would heard before. But in the, res- or the resurrection. in the resurrection, you guys know the detail where it says that, that when Jesus got up, he was wrapped in grave clothes. Now they had to do it quickly and probably sloppily and lazily. But but when Jesus rose again on the third day, the mummy wrappings that they had wrapped him in were, were just fallen. They weren't all disheveled like when you get out of bed and you throw the covers. They had just fallen, almost like he just came right through them. Almost like if your hand was in a glove and without touching the glove part, you could pull your hand out and it would just fall down flat. Now, now Jesus came out of him that way. And because Jesus was beaten so badly and his face was marred beyond visage, his face was so swollen and bloody and ugly that they put a towel over his face when they put him in the tomb. And the towel would have been blood-stained. And the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the grave, like, he wasn't in a hurry. Like, he cleaned up the tomb, and he he took the the napkin that was on his face, and he folded it neatly, and he left it in his place. And they said that Jewish custom is that if, if you're having dinner, and you have your, it makes sense, right? If you have your napkin in your lap, And you're going to go to the bathroom and come back or you're going to do something and come back. You take your napkin, you fold it up, you set it where you're leaving, where you're sitting. And when you leave, it means you're coming back. And if you take it and you just throw it down on top of your plate, then you're done and and you're done with it. Well, Jesus folded the napkin that was covering his face in order to tell you and I that he's coming back. Amen. I thought that was pretty cool. So um, verse number nine says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came. Now listen, verse 8, verse 9. The the experience is joy. The women are having joy. It's joy in verse 8. In verse 9, it's the word rejoice. And they went to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. And Jesus is now saying to them, one of the first words that Jesus says post-resurrection is rejoice. Rejoice. Do you know that Jesus wants you to have joy in your life? You know, you think that you don't want to give your life to God. You don't want to fully surrender your life to Jesus because you're going to miss joy in your life. I know for me, as a young man, seventh and eighth grade, I was introduced to Jesus as a, as a really long story, but as somebody who um, was no Christ, no church, nobody in my home was a Christian, nobody I knew was a Christian, I, I never read a Bible or had any, any gospel, any truth, any Christianity, anything in my life, grown up. At 14 years old, a neighbor kid was a Christian, and he invited me to his youth group. And, and I went to his youth group with him, and I, and I went for all the wrong reasons, and, but I had fun, and they made it fun, and I went for a while, and we would go on Wednesday nights to, to my neighbor's youth group. And, and the pastor asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And although I said yes to him, and I let him lead me in the prayer that I'm going to lead you in here in a moment, in my heart, I didn't give a full surrender. Why? I was afraid that being a Christ follower and giving my life completely to Jesus, that I was going to lose out on some joy, that I was going to lose out on some fun, that I was going to miss something in life that that was cool at 14 years old. And all I got was the next six years of complete Devastation and destruction and years that I'll never get back Years that the locust eat eat as I wasted away and, and by the time I gave my life to jesus at 20 years old was was a complete mess because the world had eaten me up at a young age And I needed jesus at that point, but I remember being afraid I remember thinking there was going to be no joy And come to find out it was exactly the opposite when jesus came into my life. He healed those things and brought joy He brought fulfillment Now, as we go on, it says, um, and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. That's like the second or third, fourth time here in the scripture, already just in this verse that Jesus says, do not be afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid. They had fear that he took from them and he wanted them to have joy. And and then he says, my brethren, go and tell my brethren and go to Galilee and there they will see me. In the other gospel here, it says in this part that he said, go and tell my brethren and Peter. Why and Peter? Because the last time that Jesus and Peter made eye contact was right after the rooster crowed and Peter had denied Jesus vehemently and even proclaimed in an anthema and said, let my life be a curse. If I ever even knew the man, I don't know him as he's swearing and cursing in the, in the garden to the little tiny servant girl that he didn't know Jesus And at that moment, the cock crow, and the Bible says that Jesus and Peter make eye contact in the courtyard, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. And when Jesus rises again three days, no doubt Peter is feeling defeated because he denied the Lord. He's feeling unworthy like he can't come. And so in a special invitation of love and of reaching out to minister and raise up Peter, he says, go and get my disciples and Peter to make sure he knew that, that, that he was loved and that he was forgiven, even though his last act was terrible. And then it says, And now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Now, real quickly, verse 11 is a, a detail you might miss. But these are Roman soldiers, and who do, they, um, who do they serve and who do they report to? Pontius Pilate to the Romans. Now, why are they going to the Jewish quarter? Why are they headed to the Jewish priests and not to their own people, their own area? Now, they, they just lost the body of Jesus. And, and, and they know they're dead if they go to Pontius Pilate. There's no way they're not. So you know it's bad when a Roman soldier is going to a, to a Jewish priest in the old city of Jerusalem. So they go to the priests. They go to the Sanhedrin. They go to the, bo- the governing body, the same one who just murdered Jesus or um. And, and when they had assembled, verse 12, with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole away while he slept. And if this comes to the governors as well, we will appease him and make you secure. So it's going to come to the Romans, the Roman leadership. And, and if you say you fell asleep, you know that's a death penalty. But they say, Don't worry, we'll appease them. We'll, we'll buy them as well, and we'll make sure nothing happens to you guys seen the movie risen highly recommended especially on Easter it's a great Christian movie and it puts a lot of detail in this part of the story what what happens is as the body of Jesus Christ disappears everything is about the body everything about the resurrection can be fixed and handled if they could only just produce the body of Jesus Christ so no doubt there would have been an investigation by the Romans into this event and what happened to the body And so they have their CSI crime investigators of Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers who go and begin to investigate this crime and look and try to find the body. Now, now without a doubt, they would have found the body. And here, they come up with a lie, and it's so bad. I'll tell you what. The intellectual world, listen, we're almost done, okay? The intellectual world for 2,000 years has been working overtime, to try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so bad. They, they have no facts. They have no intellectual um, um, power. They have no intellectual authority in any of these arguments. And they continue to come up with reasons why Jesus did not rise from the grave. Why is that? Why does the world not? Why do they care? Why, why won't they just leave it alone? Why does the world not want to believe that Jesus rose from the grave? So much so that they're willing to say some pretty preposterous things about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He appeared to over 500 men at one time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ historically is one of the most documented and provable events in human history. Anybody in here ever read a book doubting that that D-Day, the Battle of D-Day on the beaches of Normandy never happened? Anybody in here ever read anything that the battle of Waterloo is not true? No, nobody cares. Why? Normandy, D-Day, and there are these going around, but but not very smart, right? And and it's not that long ago. Those that deny the Holocaust ever happened, but but again, the, 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 none of those things affect your eternity. But there is one thing that affects what's going to happen to you for all of eternity, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that's one truth that changes everything, amen? Amen. And for you to have to face that and and, and come to that reality. Now, I'd like to say that in church this morning, before I give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus, that if if I could just convince you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, that, that that truth would be so powerful that a guy died and rose again the third day, and knowing that he claimed without him you won't go to heaven, that you would realize intellectually that you need Jesus, and you would all get saved and go to heaven just based on the fact that, that, that Jesus rose from the grave. And that's the way it should work. And intellectually, the argument is solid, right? Anybody in here, do you guys know there's tons of money to be made in religion, and people realize this over the years? And, and they've perverted the gospel and what's true, and, and, and all these problems that have created that are real. Because of these hirelings, because of these people that have perverted the gospel. How, many, how about in here? You guys want to, maybe we should start our own. We can make a bunch of money. Anybody want to join me? Anybody want to lead it? I got a plan. One do you guys raise your hand to volunteer to lead it? I'm not going to lead it. I'll follow you though. I'll follow you. All you got to do is die, go in a grave for three days, dead, and then rise again the third day and I'll follow your new religion. Anybody do that? Anybody want to start that religion? And, and the power of Jesus dying and raising again the third day. But I'll tell you what, if it was only an intellectual argument, you know, I tell, people tell me all the time, they argue with me intellectual details of the gospel. They want to, they want to argue or, or they want to talk about intellectual. And sometimes, listen, 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 sometimes there's a sincerity of, of argument and an intellectual discussion. Oftentimes there's not. The person doesn't want to believe. They, they, they realize that, that, that they believe that it's, it, it's going to commit their lives to Jesus, and they're afraid of that. The Bible says that men love the darkness rather than the light, and they didn't want to come to the darkness. Romans chapter 1 says that we willingly believe a lie rather than, than the truth, and that men willingly believe the lie because the truth would make you change the way you live. And I think for so many, I think for 99.9% of the people, the real truth is it's not an intellectual debate on whether Jesus rose again from the dead. Hear here, here the, 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 the Sanhedrin. Listen, follow this. Sixteen Roman soldiers and, and some of their own people show up and they say an angel showed up, rolled away the stone, and Jesus rose from the grave and he's gone. Bodily resurrection, miraculously, some angel with swag sat on the stone and made fun of us while we were on the ground, trembling, afraid. Sixteen eyewitnesses come into the house of of the religious leaders and Jews and give eyewitness testimony that moments ago they firsthand watched Jesus rise from the grave. How many of the Sanhedrin said, wow, it's true crazy. Not a one of them. It says they gathered with each other and said, how much money you guys got? We are gonna have to pay these guys a lot of money to lie. Okay. Gathered their money. Hey guys, we'll give you all this money. And, and then the best lie we could come up with is that you guys all fell asleep. And while you were sleeping, you saw the disciples come and steal the body. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? Like if you're sleeping, then how did you see the disciples steal the body? So so this is the lie that, that the writer tells us, Matthew tells us, that was believed until the day that he wrote it. And they're saying the same thing today, that someone came and stole the body. They said there's a swoon theory that Jesus wasn't really dead. He just swooned on the cross. And, and he kind of, you know, what the disciples, he was almost dead. And the, he was like Princess Bride. And he was mostly dead. And the the disciples revived him at the end. And, you know. I said, yeah, you know, this, this lady went to church and her pastor taught that swoon theory. And she wrote into this column, this Dear Abbey column, and she said, My pastor said that Jesus didn't die. He only swooned on the cross. And the, and the Dear Abbey person wrote back to her and said, Well, t- tell your pastor to um, get beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails. Ha- have nails put through his hands and his feet. Hang on a cross for six hours. Have him jab a spear in the side of his heart. After they beat his face so mercilessly, you can't recognize him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see how he does. Don't get any ideas, right? So all of these crazy ideas, but listen, here's the real issue. The real issue is not an intellectual debate. It's not provable science. You realize that the leading atheist stopped arguing that Jesus didn't exist, that Jesus wasn't they argue he wasn't who he said he was, but the historical fact of Jesus is a historical fact. And they said if you have any kind of intellectual prowess, um, they told their own atheist students, stop saying Jesus didn't live. It's, it's a weak intellectual argument. So unprovable, so unfound. Jesus lived. He was alive. It's not an intellectual issue. It, it's a, it's, it's, it's a hard issue. How, how could the Sanhedrin, how could the religious leaders know and have all the facts and still choose not to believe? I want to give you an opportunity in here today to not make that same mistake. That, that the facts are the facts. But you know what? It's, a, it's, it's not about whether you believe that. I'm pretty sure you know those things are true. And if it is an intellectual hang-up, you can, you can solve those things. Many, a men, many many of the great Christian leaders today and authors of our day, Lee Strobel and others who have written amazing books. And if you do have you know, some intellectual questions, let me recommend a book for you. It's called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morris. And maybe you're in that category and you want some more information, you read that book. You check that out. Just details for you, everything that that has to do with the cross and the theories and what's true and what's not, what's historical, what's evidence. And in that, Frank Morris was an atheist who got tired of um, hearing all these things and went to the Bible to prove them not true and became a Christian. Lee Strobel was the same way his wife was a Christian and he and she was inviting him to church all the time And he said I got one way I can get out of going to church I'm, just going to prove to my wife that it's not true and he began to intellectually study these things and Lee Strobel became Became a born-again believer in Christ and and was now a, a great author Now just the last thing guys as we close with this you can close your bibles, but let me tell you that You know lots of reasons maybe why we don't come But one of the most amazing things, and I didn't really have a lot of time to unpack it today. So let me just tell you this, though. As you walk through the resurrection story, you you see where Jesus is spending lots of time post-resurrection to reach out to all the people in love. You know, Jesus could have been upset. If I was Jesus, you know, the guys that put a bag on my head and punched me? I might have showed up in their bedroom at night while they were sleeping put their sheet over their, over their head and punched them and then said, prophesy who hit you. I might have went into Pontius Pilate's room at night and, ooh, you should have listened to your wife, dude. But you know what Jesus did post-resurrection? He made a point for Peter who denied Jesus and who blasphemed to, to really encourage and love and draw Peter in and, and encourage Peter that, that Jesus loved him and that, that, that as a risen Lord that Peter was welcome to follow. You remember Thomas who denied the Lord? He missed the first church service and Jesus showed up and Thomas came the next night and they're like, hey, Jesus was here last night. He's alive. And Thomas is like, man, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch his hands and put my hands in his wounds and in his and in the holes in his hands and his feet. And Jesus showed up the next night he didn't say, hey, Thomas, you're a fool. Guess what? They're going to call you for the rest of history. Doubting Thomas. He should have been here last night. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus came to Thomas, and in love, he said, he reached his hands out, and he said, Thomas, look, it's real, man, and I love you, and, I, and I, want you to, I want you to go on with me. Put your hands here, and touch me. And Jesus went on to each of them, the women who had come. You know, the women who had came, they loved Jesus, but they, they had bad theology and bad doctrine, because they came with burial spices and mints and looking for a dead body, and Jesus wasn't supposed to be a dead body. And yet he loved them and he told them, don't be afraid. He ministered love to them. And so if you've doubted, if you've had fear, if if you've been afraid, if you've denied the Lord, God invites you, as he did post-resurrection, to come and be a part of his kingdom. So let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come up. It says in Luke 16, 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You know, Jesus proved that. Abraham was, Lazarus and the rich man were in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man was on the torment side of Abraham's bosom in hell. And he asked Lazarus to, to give him a drink of water and to put some water on his tongue. And Lazarus said, I can. And if I wanted to, there's a there's a great Crevasse between you and I, and I could never get to you. And the man on Torment, the man on Abraham's bosom on the hell side, he called back to Lazarus and he said to Lazarus, He said, I have four living brothers. He said, Would you at least go tell my four living brothers the gospel so they don't have to come to this place? And Lazarus said that Moses said, Abraham says in his bosom there at that moment, he says, That even if one would rise from the dead, your brothers wouldn't believe if they won't believe the scriptures if they won't believe the prophets that God has already given us. And Jesus proved that as he rose from the dead, it didn't change the hearts of the Sanhedrin and the men who continue to to live the lie. But the word of God is true. And if you can receive Jesus based on the word of God, if you can say to Jesus, Jesus, if you're you're alive, Jesus, if you'll forgive me of my sins, I'll follow you. Jesus, if you have a heaven to send me to, I want to go. Jesus, if you can receive me as I am, I, I want to give you my life. And if you call out to Jesus with a full surrender and a full heart, God will change your life and God will heal you. And God will give you absolute salvation in your life. There was a Muslim guy who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was on a road and he was lost. And he said to somebody, if you're lost on a road and you come to two men and both of the men and one is dead and one is alive, which one will you ask for directions? (laughs) I think I'll ask the one that's alive, and Jesus is alive. So let's ask Him for directions in your life. And if there's something going on, you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes and bow your head. I'd like us to pray out loud, and just so for everybody. And listen, there's no magic in the words that I'm going to lead you in, so you don't have to worry. There's no incantations. There's no spells it's an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. And whether you say the words or you don't, what God's interested in is your heart. And if your heart says yes to Jesus right now, the Bible says that you will become born again. God will fill you with the Holy Spirit and that today will be your birthday where you will spend the rest of eternity in heaven. And today you will be saved and you will be delivered from, from hell and, and unto salvation into heaven. And today is the day to get right with God. And so I encourage you guys as to repeat after me and and mean this in your heart. And if you mean this in your heart, God will absolutely receive you as his child. He'll forgive you of your sins. So let's pray together as a church. Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I need a savior. I realize I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again the third day. I ask you to come into my heart. And be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. He is risen.